So this is musicians having coffee and talking about stuff. Coffee is not man- mandatory, but talking about stuff is. And uh, my guest today is the okay, illustrious, well, well, the amazing uh, Mr. Derek Schulman of uh, all kinds of fame. Hi, all. Of, of Simon Dupree and the big sound. Well, mostly uh, that's the most important. <laughs> right. That's what got me started. And Gentle Giant, and uh, that's where most of the Prague people, most of you who are listening probably are going to know him from Gentle Giant, but also went on to have an amazing career as a record executive. And uh, yeah, how's it going, man? It's going okay. Um, I mean, we're, the good news about being around today rather than last year is that um, certainly in New York, where I'm living, um, things are opening up. Well, not, they've opened up now considerably, which right. is uh, <clears throat> excuse me, good news finally because it's been a horrible year for everyone, not just me or, or you. or I mean, the whole world has been turned upside down. Yeah. And um, finally... You sounded so People American there, out, by, and, by the way. And the summer's here, and... and uh, Derek, you sounded so American. You I said, do, I do. horrible. I love that. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> have, you be, have you become an American? You know, what... what, what? God forbid. <laughs> um, believe it or not, I did become an American about five or six years ago, after about 36 years of having a green card. <clears throat> Excuse me. I thought it was a little... My throat is a little, um, like, uh, not laryngitis, but I was screaming so loudly when I, I went to the uh, Nets versus uh, the Bucks game seven two nights ago. Oh, my goodness. Uh, with the basketball, with, with my kids. Uh, uh, you know, we got very, very expensive seats, and they lost. So, my, <laughs> uh, anyway, so my voice is a little uh, shot. It's like after about seven dates on the road, you know, you need a rest. Uh, but um, anyway. Was it a good um, game, though? Was yeah. it a good game? It was a great game, actually. It was, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a fan of uh, sports and basketball in particular. Yeah. It was a great, 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 a great game, but unfortunately, the Nets got uh, kicked out or knocked out of the uh, the semifinals. So anyway, right. here I am with a with a with a sore throat. Not after not after singing, but after shouting, right. which I always, which people said is the same thing for them, uh, occasionally. Yeah. Right. Uh, I've been watching a lot of the playoffs in basketball as well. Um, and, and the funny thing about me is like my son, my son, will he, he has to have a team that he's rooting for. He doesn't even want to watch it. Me, for me, it's like watching great artists work. Those guys are so amazing. The stuff that they do, you know, so I'll be like, Oh, amazing shot for like the other side. And my son will go, you can't say that. I'm like, well, I mean, it was an amazing shot. <laughs> this guy, those guys are crazy, aren't they? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is the, the athleticism of these guys is uh, I mean, just unbelievable. They're such, you know, an amazing, um, all of them, every one of them are you know, in such, such great shape, and able to do things that, God, I wish I was even able to do when I was their age. I mean, not even close. No, anyway, yeah. it was fun. And, and uh, but unfortunately, the, the Brooklyn Nets um, 
or were knocked out by the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, and I hate them for it, but nevertheless, it was a great game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were you one of those guys? I love it when the camera cuts to the people, like you know, when their when their team is losing at the last second, especially when they thought they were like if they were ahead and they thought they were going to win, and then they cut to these people that are just like looking so forlorn. They're looking so sad. <laughs> the cameramen love that, right? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 I enjoyed it. It was a great game because uh, anyway, it was fun to be there. It was also fun to be with my kids, my my daughters in law, etc. Yeah, the, the whole family. And, yeah, and, um, yeah, we spent a lot of money doing it. But anyway, it was fun and um, good. Uh, you know, now we uh, look look no. forward to watching the games on TV now. <laughs> yeah, no, but you, know, you can't you uh, so can't I, you can't I, sing I, for us. I was going to ask you to sing uh, on reflection for us today, but uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> good okay that's that, that's kind of why i kind of did the the the, the um preface uh before this just in case you said that so um anyway no no it's uh... I, I only, I've, I've only done that once recently and that was for again for my son who put this video together well i don't know if you saw the uh pro- proclamation video the fan video oh yeah yeah, um, yeah great. it was a lot of fun yeah yeah really yeah. cool yeah, so, what a piece. Anyway. You know, it's great to pull that stuff anyway, out. Sorry. And do you have the experience, um, like when I watched that, I haven't listened I haven't listened to Proclamation in some years, to be honest. And I was just like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 piece itself is so cool. Right? Yeah, it, yes, yeah, it is. Oh, listen, your 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 band and your stuff is the same is is a school as ours. So um but uh yeah it, it's it's good it, it you know when we uh the good thing about um what has happened especially with uh, Stephen, you know and you know Stephen, i'm sure Stephen wilson is that uh he's he's a fan and a friend and uh, and he's made us the band you know this is a band 40 plus years ago when we stopped in fact um listen to the music we made back then and and reflect on it in a different fashion, almost objectively rather than subjectively. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's good. It's it's, it's damn good. Yeah. You know, uh, there's not too many artists out there that are, that are doing things that I guess we did and your your band did. I mean, many yeah, many years ago. Yeah, um, it's and it's still funny. do, of course. You but but that I, it it can take years sometimes for me to be able to hear what we actually recorded like to hear what's there and not what you wish that it was or or how you you know what you wish your performance would have been or sometimes it can take me a long time you know to really just listen to it like a listener because you're you're so close to it right. when you when you create it and then you work on it so intensely and um so it's great to get away and then listen again isn't it yeah, well, for many years, um, as you described in your in your um, monologue, actually, or your opening, um, you know, I, I my life was very different. I mean, I, we 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 broke up the band in 1980, and um, from 81, 82 to until now, I, I'm still you know doing things, but certainly the next 30 years were pretty much about being in charge of both executives and musicians. And trying to get my, you know, give my experience as a as a musician um, in the um, business world, if you like, as a head of 
a couple of record companies or two or three record companies and, you know, and, and understanding what it took um, and learning to understand what it took before. This is, you know, as the internet was taking over, as, as streaming was taking over, what it took for um, an artist to to make it, if you like, and or not make it and what it was and, and how, how much um, there was behind the scenes, if you like, that, right. that, uh, unfortunately, was nothing that I thought about when I was a musician full time. Sure. Yeah, you're just doing your thing, and you know, I, I was thinking yeah. about that. Um, I was thinking about you guys. Uh, I listened to an interview that you did last. I don't know when you did it, but I listened last Friday, and you were talking about the early days in London. Um, some of you, some of you who don't know, because uh, I didn't know, um, you and your brothers had had this. It was your brothers, right? That you had the band Simon Dupree and the Big Sound with. And, well, yeah, that's correct. And yeah. were you like sixteen or something? Yeah, we. St- I started. I was at grammar school. What my brother was. We were. We were both at school. My elder brother was had less school. He was a teacher. Um, uh, Phil and um, yeah, we were on the road uh, literally. <laughs> Eight or nine days a week, being at school as well, and literally not getting any sleep. Um, when I was about sixteen, seventeen, and um, you know, we had a, a couple of very, very big hits. Um, yeah, and, I listened to uh, Kites. Very, uh, yeah, it was it was a uh, you know a very popular song. Yeah, it still is actually on on BBC. So um, I love the gong. It was it, that was again you know. <laughs> yeah, that was that was important. How you gonna put? Yeah, you have to have a gong. But I you mean, sound so mature. Music, you have to have a gong, right? You know? Your voice is so mature on that record. I was like, he does. You don't sound sixteen. You sound like yourself. I, I was amazed. Well, uh, uh, well, yeah. It's, it's just if you listen to uh, Steve Winwood back in the day, he was sixteen or fifteen when he started, and his voice was uh, like a. A thirty-seven-year-old African American, you know, right. playing the blues down in Memphis. Right. I mean, it was the de- those were the days when, um, you know, uh, when musicians in England would listen to. Again, this is very interesting because a lot of American musicians, and just generally, a lot of people don't know that the a lot of uh, the biggest groups in the world, which are including the Zeppelins and Beatles and et cetera, et cetera would listen to American music um, through American Forces Network based in Germany. And it was all, it was all you know, Motown or, or even before the soul blues. And they were playing it for the, for the troops based in Europe. Uh, and, mm. uh, and little kids in England, little white kids in England would listen to it and record it and say, man, that's great. And American, the American public at that time we're still, still listening to Pat Boone or, or God knows what else we're listening to. Right. But that's what sparked the the British invasion, if you like. Uh, you know, American Forces Network and, a, and a, a pirate radio station called Radio Luxembourg, which is based in Luxembourg and, and played obscure American blues, R&B and soul. You know, that was a, a very, that was a start. I didn't know that. I thought, I just assumed that everybody got import uh, records of that stuff because that's the only way you could listen to it over and over. You know? no, that, 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 that was that was um, that was some something that was rare, um, you know. That was, and that was a Liverpool thing because it was a port. But certainly, uh, all of these bands 
that became has has had become and became massive. We're talking, you know, we're talking about the Eric Claptons of the world. You know, they're sure. the, the biggest of the biggest. The Stones. We all listened to the radio, and the radio was playing American music to the American forces based in Europe. Right. So uh, this is, you know, where whichever way that we develop, whether it was a, a rock band, a progressive band, you know, I, I would imagine, I would, I would certainly say that uh, Fripp and and um, you know Peter Gabriel and et cetera, et cetera, all did the same thing. We yeah. all, you know, t- turned in and tuned into to American music. Yeah, yeah. To so the we, you know, we, soul we, we music. gave it. Uh, so, so the, yeah, soul music, and we gave it a. a you know, coming from you know, sort of a big uh, an island in the middle of the North Sea, if you like, uh, we gave it the British spin, and it became British. You know, the British invasion, right? Um, and then it developed as as it, as it did in a cocoon kind of thing. Yeah, and you were so there. You are sixteen, seventeen years old, and you've got a couple top ten hits, right? Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? Oh, it, um. Fantastic, actually. <laughs> to tell you the truth, it was funny because um, uh, I, I just remembered, and, and this is—I I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was my imagination, but it isn't because it's logged into one of these. Um, it, I was—I went to grammar school, uh, you know, where you wear uniforms and the teachers wore mortarboards and cloaks, and you know, this is—you uh, know—I I was lucky enough to get a scholarship, etc. And um, I remembered when I was. 12 or 13 and they did a careers um uh, go around to the to the boys as a boy ball boy school um and you know the kids in my class 20 30 of them uh would answer what they were looking to do and one would say i want to be a chemist i want to be a doctor i want to be a surgeon and this mr rogers said showman what do you want to do and i said i want to be a, a, a rock star and and this is around th- i was 13 and all the class laughed and turned around and yelled, yeah, yeah, boo, get out of here. And, and Mr. Ross said, no, you, sh- you shouldn't think of that because that's never going to happen. And three years later, or three and a half years, maybe three, three and a half, four years later, I, had a, I was on TV, um, you know, uh, on top of the pops. I was still at school and I was signing autographs for the teacher. <laughs> so wow. that's how it felt. Well, how did that come about? Did you guys uh, just make find a studio and make the make some recordings, and then just um, did you get a label behind you, or did you go direct to the, to radio, or yeah, to, direct to radio? No, no, or? no. No, we, we, I, no, we were we were very lucky. I, we were my brothers and myself were very lucky in that my my brother in law, my sister, had married. Um, a gentleman called John King, who became our manager, and he was a BBC television producer. Oh, so um, he was able to get he was able to get to some people to at least get uh, an audition at EMI Records. And let me let me tell you how back in the day, and and again, you'd be probably interested because it wasn't just the Simon Dupree that did this; it was every band that was signed to Parlophone including the Beatles, by the way, um, you to get the record deal. And the record deal, by the, by the way, was not an advance and you do X amount of albums, etc. The record deal was one single. Really? Um, you'd go up to London, to Abbey Road. Yep. Oh, yeah. You no, it wasn't Abbey Road. It was uh, Manchester Square. You'd go to the Manchester, Manchester Square. They had a soundstage there. And you'd play your full set. 
in front of the staff producers and the engineers. They sit there like this, and you play your full set in front of them. In suit, they're in suits. And they were impressed. Right, white shirts, the suits, yeah, yeah, suits, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. yeah, George Martin was there. You know, all the all the every everyone was there. And if they thought it was worthy, they'd say, "Okay, we'll give you a deal." So we were lucky enough to get a deal. We we, we, we were actually pretty good. Um, we played live. You know, we we played live a lot. We were pretty good. So we got a record deal, which was one single. And and by the way, the Beatles did the same thing. They right. didn't just. You know, Brian Epstein didn't say, yeah, "Come on, I want I want a million dollars." They had to do the very same thing. Yeah, you know, you had to go and re- do your show in front of the, in front of the producers. Anyway, so That's our cool. first single uh, hit the top forty. It wasn't a big hit. It wasn't a big hit. Our second single was was almost there. And then we had a couple of big top ten singles, kites included. Um, so um, amazing. So that was that. That was a start. I left school, and we we were pro. We we toured all over Europe, um, and and ultimately, though, it was um, uh, it was it was the 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 um, the millstone around my our necks to have a pop hit because um, you start to play in front of a crowd, which we call it in England the Scampion Ships crowd. Which is basically they they would sit there in their I mean you you got good money for cabaret if you like almost cabaret performances right uh, and up north and 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 they'd wait to hear your hit and not 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 be concerned about the rest of the um the rest of the show and it became very very depressing right. to the point of to the point of where um we had decided to um call it a day and change our styling. In, completely because first of all that playing our our hits if you like was only one part of what we wanted to do right uh and we want we as as you know progressive means to progress and we progressed you know both musically and 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 ideas were floating around in the late 60s early 70s that we wanted to explore and to be stuck in that kind of void was was horrible so we broke up uh, and in fact, um, one of the, um, if you like catalysts, uh, for our breaking up was our keyboard player at the time, um, Reg Dwight. Oh, um, Elton John. Became, right. Elton, yeah. Elton yeah. was our keyboard player. Oh, did I spoil uh, the, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Didn't mean to no, spoil sorry, it. So Red, no, so Elton, Elton John, absolutely. Elton was our keyboard player. And he, and we told him and he said, "That's a great idea. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to um, audition for for uh, you guys." And, and um, you know, we just met Bernie and uh, we went. To, you know, we we, yeah, we we became friends and we continue to be friends now. Um, and you know, he said, "I've got some great songs I just wrote with Bernie and like Skyline Pigeon and and, and myself and Ray became really friendly with him and them." Yeah. Um, but un- but unfortunately, you know, that we it wasn't the kind of, we said to Red. You said to Red, you know, Red, it's not kind of the style we we're looking. Want to do something a little more different? A little yeah, sort of. Um, I would say I would say so. Actually, lo- <laughs> just a little more different. We should cut to a, a little bit him, of like our song uh, and then play a little bit of knots, right? Something just slightly different. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Yeah, but but he was but he was uh, very supportive and, and and luckily for him he didn't get the job and he became like massive in the year and we were still struggling to get gigs so uh, you know right. that was uh, the story of Reg and uh, Elton John and Simon and Gentle Giant but um, yeah that and that's, uh, that was 
the start. So we broke up that band and started looking for players who could um, who could uh, see the vision that my, myself and Ray and Phil at the time um, wanted to go in. And we, what we wanted to do is kind of the 180 from what we did been doing. Right. Uh, so and now for that, something that completely was different. Completely, Gentle exactly giant. that. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was right around the time that Monty Python's TV show was on TV, wasn't it? Wasn't it 70, 71? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And now yep. for something oh, completely yeah. different. Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. yep. What a thing. So but I was yeah, thinking we, we, about I was thinking about this scene in London that you were part of. You know, like with Elton John's there and you you mentioned you'd stop at a restaurant in the night and the Who would be there and you know, it was, it was like a whole there was a whole thing going on and sometimes we're we're in. We can be in the midst of something like that and not even really know that we are. You know that there's something that something's happening. I mean, that was a really amazing time, and uh, you know, I've uh, even you know yeah. Thomas Vobber from uh, Inside Out, right? You know Thomas? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he said to me, he said, yeah, you know. I, I, I've caught glimpses of these kind of seasons when a lot of amazing creativity is happening. And I just vowed to myself that I, if I ever had the chance, I wanted to be a part of it and I didn't want to miss it. And yeah. that was how he was talking about why he was so enthusiastic about getting involved with Spock's beard. Cause he felt like it was like at the late nineties, there was this a smaller, but there was a kind of a surge of creativity happening around that time. Right. And, and uh, yeah, what a what a thing it must have been. Very exciting time for your, for you all. It was, yeah, yeah, it, it was. You you can't describe. I mean, it's. I mean, you you have it. You had it with Spock's beard, and as you said, in 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 the nineties. But it was it's indescribable because the ever it, in England in the late to mid to late sixties, early seventies, um, there was this. Uh, what the, what I, you were you were probably referring to this cafe on the one motorway called the blue boar and all the bands that became had become and ultimately became the biggest bands in the world we're talking about the stones uh beatles zeppelin cream they'd all first they started in england they do shows up and down the, the country before they even went to europe I mean, remember england the, the, the tunnel wasn't built then you know, this is the UK, and you'd literally, and, and there'd be so many clubs to play. You could do literally three or four shows a day and night in England. And and, and I've, we've done it. I mean, the Simon Dupree, and still, you know, come back home and get a two, two hour rest. Um, so they stop at this one cafe that was open all night. And this is on the, um, the, the a, a motorway, a freeway called the M1, and it was called the Blue Boar. And then you'd meet your friends. There, you make a beeline for that that cafe at three in the morning and have beans and chips, uh, you know, horrible English food. But then you see you know, Eric Clapton, who uh, and you know, and then uh, you know, you, you hang out. And the zombies were hanging out one side, and 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 status quo was there. And he's, how was your gig in Nottingham? Oh, it was shitty. How was your gig in uh, in Cambridge? Uh, it was better, but you know, it's a, and you got to know all your friends, and that's a lot of the bands actually got together. From just hanging out in the Blue Boar, I mean, you know, the, I, I saw, you know, um, you know actually Clap, Clapton and Jack Bruce confer in a corner, you know, when Jack was playing in the Grand Bond organization, 
mm. you know, and uh, Clapton was uh, in the Yardbirds. You know, this is uh, it, it was it was it was a birth of the uh, the birth of British music. Um, yeah. Well, well, then it broke into America, and then it's, it became it became massive. But it was it was such a creative. T- it was just a time that I'm very lucky to have lived through. Yeah. Thank God I'm still living. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. You know, yeah, not everybody made it through. <laughs> no, that's that, and that's that's sad. That's the sad part of it, of course. Yeah. So, um, I first saw you guys. My first experience with Gentle Giant actually was not seeing you or hearing you. It was my brother Alan. He went and saw you play at the Whiskey a Go Go. I think it might have been the In a Glass House tour or something like that. Um, he came home. And I remember it very well. He came home just lit up. He's like, Neil, you got to go see this band. They're they're doing things that I've never heard anybody do. They all play everything. And they all sing. You know, he he just went on and on and he gushed and gushed. So I went out and bought, I think, Octopus and Power and the Glory and In a Glass House. And, well, you know. Obviously, I've never been the same. <laughs> it was a such a tremendous influence because, like you, I was uh, born into a musical family. You know, obviously, your your right. your dad sport. was a, a band leader, and there was all of that. And my my father was a music yeah. teacher and a yeah. choir director. So I grew up like he would. We were in my dad's boys' choir for one of the things, and we would go to the Renaissance Fair. And sing, now is the month of Maying when merry lads are playing. Fa la 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 right? You know, so I, I grew up right. with a lot of this layered uh, counterpointal uh, vocal parts. And, uh, right, right. And I'll never forget, um, I think it was the next year, I went and saw you guys at the Shrine Auditorium. You had graduated quite a bit. If you go from the whiskey to the Shrine... That's a big capacity yeah, we, we, difference. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did we did well. Yeah, we did the Santa Monica Civic and then the Shrine. I think then uh, in L.A. that was uh, we a step up from you know three thousand six seven thousand uh, seaters and yeah that was yeah. This, are you you were at the show at the Shrine? I was yes, and I'll never forget. I don't remember what the lighting guy did. But there was some special lighting thing that he did when you guys did. You may know what I don't, but I don't know it, and I can tell you, so you will, right? <laughs> and I and I was just like, <laughs> When the audience cheered at the end of that part, it was um, I was I was cheering along. I I just love that so much, and I was it was a whole it was again a new possibility for me of of you know, bringing all these different things that I loved about music. You know, somehow we get into this idea that music's somehow limited, I think. And and yeah. and that's the great thing about bands and artists is they'll open up vistas to, oh, I didn't know you could do that. You know, now thinking back, well, like, yeah. well, why couldn't you do that? Of course you can do that. <laughs> well, you guys, you, 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 I mean, you, you, do, you did and you do the same thing. I mean, you're not, you're not limited to one. You should not be limited to one particular thing. If you do, then then you're a follower. You know, just just be yourself and be unique, or not be be authentic. And if you want to do that, do it. And if it works, even better. And if it works for yourself, even better. If it works for yourself and a fan, even better. Better yet, you know. Right. And if they enjoy it, and so so, you know, that's kind of what you did as well as a band, and what we did prior to your Spock's beard, of course. Well, I'm um, glad you're. And, not, um, I'm glad you're not upset with us, because. <laughs> 
the first time the first piece that I ever wrote that was Gentle Giant esque um, was a piece called uh. Thoughts. And I, I remember sending the because that was back. This would have been ninety six, maybe. Or so we were sending cassettes back and forth in the mail back then. Mm-hmm. And I sent a cassette that had a bunch of my demos on it. One, one it was one was thoughts, and I kind of thought. I mean, I liked it, but I thought the band wouldn't want to do it because it was just so gentle giant, you know. And uh, and then it was my brother Al again that was like, well, actually, that was my favorite one. He very he said it's so subdued. I you know sometimes we just assume people don't mm-hmm. like things. I don't know if you're like that, but I I can be like if, if no if if nobody says anything, I assume they hate it. <laughs> and so <laughs> so when my brother said, well, actually that was my favorite one. Anyway, it was it was because Al loved it so much that we wound up doing it and putting it on the record. And then when we played it live, what a response it got. And so uh, you know that became kind of a. Uh, a thing that we uh, we did, and then we did a, a you know we we do these layered vocal things. Of course, we had the instruments to do it. You know, we had uh, Nick's voice was so right. wonderful on the uh, could sit, he had such a high clean range, you know, and so we we just had the right voices that we could actually do that stuff. But I always wondered if you guys would be upset <laughs> thinking that you know because some of that stuff uh, is very no, no, we, actually we. we... It's very gentle giant. Some of that. No, no, I'm, 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 you know, I'm aware of your music, of course, and I, I love it actually, and and I'm, I'm, I'm happy, and and, and I feel very um, uh, proud that 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 it was. I had had some kind of. We had not me, but we had some kind of influence on anyone. I mean, the fact that the fact that I'm still speaking about a band which I was in forty years ago, which we, when we closed the door. Um, speaks volumes about what i guess that has it had a life that didn't just stay and and die in 1980 it continued to flourish and, yeah. and apparently is even more popular now than it uh, probably was back in the day which is interesting because um you know it it, it, was, it was music and, and i'm sure in your your world too that was we were just doing what what we did and we didn't we weren't listening to other people we weren't trying to be followers we were cocooned in our little world right um and thankfully we had our we had some i mean you know the band ha- had some fantastic musicians of carrie being ha- having had a um a, comp- um a degree in composition you know made a huge amount of difference i mean he's just a brilliant musician and ray of course as well and classically was classically trained and we all read you know we we were we read music, and but also we also were a rock band. But we weren't. The truth is, we weren't based in London. We were based in a town called Portsmouth, on oh. the south coast of England. Okay. So we were pretty much a cocooned. Uh, it, it was near London, it was sixty miles from London, but we were cocooned there. And 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 basically, um, it, we when we recruited Gary and, and from London and and Kerry from the West Country, et cetera, et cetera, um, and John from Wales. They moved down to where we were, and um, and and effectively just did brought our 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 influences and our loves of what kind of music we enjoyed to whatever we were doing, which is Gentle Giant, and that part was stirred, you know. And and again, it wasn't we weren't trying to be like anyone else. It was uh, those days were thankfully there were no sort of um, labels. 
that you had to be a progressive, you had to be a hip hop, you had to do, you know, pop, you had to be a TikTok. This was a, those days when anything went. Yeah. And, you know, well, it, I think it, anything it, went, it, they, they were probably that way because at that time, the anything goes stuff was selling. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was working, you know, so they didn't, well, they would invest in bands like Gentle Giant, right? I mean, you, you guys had, did you have decent budgets or what was it like? Um, yeah, we did. I mean, yeah, we, we did. Well, we, we were lucky enough, actually, then uh, you, you talked about my first group. We were lucky in that we had a manager um, who, when we, when we told him we were going to break up uh, and start something new. We had a manager who believed in the brothers um, and who basically um, uh, continued to invest in the band to put the band together. So we were very lucky in that we were able to put bread on the table and, and find Carrie Benier, you know, who just graduated from the Royal Academy. And then Gary Green, you know, who's we, we, we were you know, we auditioned about God, 150 guitarists. And he was probably the only one who said, can I tune up? You know, so we we get we get. <laughs> that's why you got him. So you know, <laughs> we got to get this guy. He tunes yeah, up. Said, <laughs> yeah, he wants to tune up. Wow, this is uh, this is cool. Um, he was more and, of a bluesy um, you know, player, they, right? Wasn't he more a little more of a blues oh, guy? Yeah. Oh yeah, it is, yeah. He was very much a blues. It still is a great blues player. I mean, a fantastic player, but a, a real blueser. Uh, but I mean, a great player as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, ultimately, John Weathers, we went through a couple of drummers um, and we knew John from uh, being in a grease band and, 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 and such a, a superb rock drummer, a real solid. I mean, he was in the grease great, band? also so solid and, and put the uh, originally. Yeah. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. And then oh. Eyes of Blue. OK. Yeah. With Joe Cocker. You mean the Joe, and, and, um, Joe Cocker yeah. in the grease band? You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I yep. didn't know that. Yeah. Learning stuff all the time, Derek. So he, his, his <laughs> well, me too. You know, and I'm old. Uh, so we we put that band together, and, and um, you know we were again fortunate that we had a manager, Jerry Braun, who's no longer with us, uh, who believed in us as musicians, and um, we went went into this and rehearsed this kind of different music that we'd work we'd working on, um, and went into the studio with Tony Visconti. And it was very, those days, again, in the early 1970, I think it was, uh, we, we did one session and Tony was working on three albums at the very same time. One was a T-Rex album. I can't remember which one it was. But then then after our session was a Bowie's, um, David Bowie and, and uh, would come in and that was Man Who Sold the World sessions. You know, so wow. we all got, got to know each other yeah. uh, really well. And in the other Trident studio, there was was Queen. It was it was a it was a great time. I mean, yeah, again, that's amazing. We're talking about it's like, <laughs> you can't you can't describe it. It's um, yeah. So it's so that, cool that you so you was, guys that the label got somebody with a name like Tony Visconti to on your very first record to work with you guys on that. Yeah, wow. yeah. Well, it was yeah. Yes, he did. Uh, that was uh, but Tony, you know, enjoyed what he heard and. and was very very instrumental in in a lot of things that we learned actually, and also Tony's such a great musician. Right. Wow. I, I mean, he was he he actually um, was um, you know full disclosure uh, the the recorder a uh, um, uh, quartet thing 
was his idea. No kidding. You know, so we took that on. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed it was. Wow. Um, and in fact, so we, we, we stole it from him on, on stage, you know, and, and uh, used it to our advantage. That you was know, one of so, the things my brother Al told me. It was like, then they all play the recorder. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not hard to learn, but I mean, certainly you have to, you have to know what the notes were and, and, and be able to breathe properly. But um, yeah, so to, that was Tony's idea. So to, yeah, Tony was great. I mean, he was a fantastic uh, mentor. And, he, and so we did the first album with him and the second album with him as well. So um, and we learned from him and he was very hands off. Because Ray is certainly, uh, my brother Ray, and, and even myself, uh, wanted to know a little bit more about what, what does this button do? How does this work? You know, so ultimately, after the second album, um, we took over the production of the, uh, the, the, the band. Right, right. Well, the great productions they are. It, I mean, they really changed my life. I mean, um, all those were the four records that I initially bought, and they were the ones that had the most impact with Octopus, um, Power and the Glory in a Glass House and Freehand, Freehand. Wow, that was that was a big one for me. Um, what, what's your yeah, recollection? Like to, any recollections of Freehand, of making Freehand, or uh, the tour, or yeah. anything you'd like to share? Yeah, Freehand was actually um, it, it was a it was a really good album to make because we were uh, at our I think we were at our most mature best, if you like, uh, having. So I'm talking about starting with Tony Visconti in, in, in Trident Studios and then Advision Studios in London. Um, and, you know, as, as you know, you, you grow as a band. I mean, it's almost like a lifetime. You start as a child. You know, you're, you're learning. Yeah. And then you become, a, you know, an adolescent and then a young adult. And then you become adult and then you mature. And I think that um, the freehand period in the Power and the Glory freehand period, we were mature as a band and we, we found our direction. We found our, what, what we did best. And at that same time, we were also um, playing to some big audiences. I mean, we were playing to in Europe. I mean, you know, we were playing to, you know, in stadiums. A lot of people think we're undersung and, you know, not known. Well, we were playing to 20,000 seaters in, in Italy and Germany. And, and as you said, even the shrine, we were selling out the shrine and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we were, we were, we were on the radio, um, but certainly, so it was a very, um, uh, inspiring time to do the, that album. But in fact, the album was a very easy album to make and a fun album to make. And then we found, I think we, we, we had found our footing, uh, during the freehand period. Yeah. And I think that it shows in, in the, in the music and, and in the, in the direction that we were going in. And that's, that's kind of a mature album. I really think that's probably one of our best. I I would agree. I uh, I just remembered. I had forgotten. Um, you guys were so my band at the, in that season. You know, like when you're a teenager, you know, it's like me and my friends would get into this my band. You know, my favorite band can beat up your favorite band thing. You know, and for <laughs> for yeah. for a couple of years there, I was the I was carrying the banner of Gentle Giants so much. I I bought a. Uh, white doctor's jacket and i had the gentle giant like uh i don't know what did they call it when they iron it on there what was that called yeah yeah the gentle giant on the back of my white doctor's jacket and that's what i wore to high school for at least a year and wow do you still have it no just, oh man! 
I was just say, I'll buy, I'll buy it from you. <laughs> I'm sure it's all peeling out. If the if it exists anywhere, the giant is long. Those they didn't make those things to last very well. But I had oh, forgotten no, no. about that. Yeah, oh. and I would go over to my friend Larry Marks's house, and we would listen. We would listen to you guys in Crimson and all of that stuff. Little did I know. I mean, yeah, I think my our parents. Larry, this friend of mine, was an extremely brilliant guy. Uh, a lot of these really smart guys that I was growing up with, they decided that all they wanted to do was smoke pot and listen to Prague. You know, uh, I don't know where it ever happened to Larry, but somehow, uh, in God's great wisdom, <laughs> he was able to use that time that I was spending because I when I as you know as you're listening over and over. You're, I was learning, you know, uh, without e- without knowing right. I was learning. I was learning about how you guys layered the vocals and oh, listen to that part moves. You know, you know, you put the movement where the uh, where the melody is pausing. Right. right. You know, I, I learned those things before. I uh, later on I went and took a music notation class. I think at Santa Monica College, only because it was oh, free. Really? Only because it was free. <laughs> oh, well, that, that is a good price. <laughs> well, and I, 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 it was the first time in my life. I've never really talked about this, but it was, um, I dropped out of high school because I knew I wanted to do music. And my father was a, a teacher and a music teacher, and he was very upset about it. But it was, you know, one of those very, you know, kind of dramatic. I don't want to fall back. You know, you need something to fall back on, son. I'm not going to fall back. You know, that. I know what I want to do, and I'm going to go do it. And yep. Well, then some years later, I was like, you know, I think I would like to learn more. He was trying to encourage me to learn more about music notation and, and music in general. And, you know, at that time, I was like, well, you know, I think I know enough to do what I want to do. But I did go to this Santa Monica College notation class, and I learned even more about... You know, the kind of uh, vocals, uh, vocal arrangements that you guys were doing. You know, I learned more about, you know, they taught like, oh, if one part's going down, you want to have the other one going up. You don't want to, usually you don't want to have the two parts moving right. the same way. And uh, all of these right. things, it's like all things somehow managed to work together to, uh, to you know, make uh, make Spock's beard and... Uh, other things possible, and I'm sure it was the same way with you guys. All these yeah, yeah. Well, different well, yeah, elements. Well, Carrie, Carrie, you know, Carrie's musical uh, compositional skills were were evident from the start. I mean, he, I mean, some you mentioned knots before. I mean, that was not a that was not um, a, a jam. <laughs> Let me put it that right. way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah, we, we we didn't say guess go in the studio and, and and jam our vocals you know that was that was that was very very scored and and or you know it was, it was quite difficult to well, i mean it wasn't ultimately when you learn the parts it wasn't that difficult not difficult but it wasn't it wasn't outrageous but certainly every part was scored and and, and as you as you did in scott uh, scott's sorry spock's beard um in gentle giant the pieces of music uh, I should say songs or pieces of music. There's always it's. it's uh, I don't want to sound you know pretentious for the sake of it because that's what something we never were and we didn't take ourselves that seriously. But right. but um, it in the music itself you'll see you'll hear themes. 
whether it's a bass bass part or the keyboard part or even the vocal part. Vocal lines sometimes weren't the top line of a song or, or a chordal pattern. They were part of the arrangement, and and it's quite orchestral. Yeah, I mean that's the and the same. I know that Spock Spirit had the same kind of uh, music musical arrangements that uh, Gentle Giant did. Sometimes it was sometimes. orchestral rather than yeah. Rather we we than, tried, you know, just, we tried, but it, you well, have to have a. You know the mind that the mind that created some of those arrangement that you guys have had was just, you know, uh, really, really extraordinary. The, you know, well, even just just knots that the ain't on in it and do 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 do. You know, you're creating this. You're really creating this melody and thing, but but you're playing it on different instruments. You know, so. Um, and yeah, it's just a, incredible. Some of the arrangements. And what was the first song on the second side of Octopus? Did that just come in? Was that the one? No, that's that's no, that's the that was uh, in a glass house. That was oh, that's the in a glass way. house. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, I've got I've got octopus over there somewhere. But I, 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 would, I would dare to look. But uh, I just I, remember yeah. it. It come. It just comes in with. This incredible, like the bass is, you know. Give me, give me a second. Oh, I'll, okay. I'll, 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 I'll take a look. Hold on. Uh, where is Optimus? I've got it here somewhere. Yes, I do. And it's going to be opened. I'm enjoying this piece of artwork you have, by the way, Derek. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's some done by um, a quite a famous artist called Amos Rubin. Oh. Rubin. And uh, he's, uh, we've got a couple of his pieces. It's an it's a orange juice, a juicer. From uh, uh, from Jerusalem. Oh wow! Um, but he's yeah. so. Hold on, let me let me see what the, I'm actually physically opening. Uh, I see that here just to see what it is because it's. Uh, hold on! Oh damn it! It's funny. We don't. Okay. Uh, I was speaking with John Anderson, I think, and he was like, "So what was on the Yes album? I think it was one of the albums. You know, one of his one of their bigger albums, and he couldn't. Is that song on that? Or you know, I mean." It's been some years. It's been some years, right? So here, here's the Roger Dean cover. Yeah, and it's uh, well, uh, well, not not started, not started the second side. Oh, not on the American <coughs> version. By the way, why did the oh, really? why did, yeah why did the ah, okay why did That's... the American label uh, not use the Roger Dean cover? I think they just wanted to. It wasn't a negative thing on the Roger Dean cover. It was just they wanted to establish. Branding, if you like, you know, there were the Columbia Records, uh, you know, but the the face was, you know, was recognizable, and and um, and you know, it was, you know, I think it was uh, certainly, it still is, I think, the um, the the branding of the face of, of Gentle Giant, and I think it was very clever. I, it, it was no negative um, connotations on Roger Dean, certainly. Right. Um, I like I like the Roger Dean. Um, yeah. But. Um, and in fact, that's a, that's an interesting story too, because I'll harken back again to the very first sessions. Um, and that giant—I don't know if anyone knows this—was done by um, the best friend of um, of David Bowie, a guy called George Underwood. Really? He he, George. Yeah, George was Bowie's best friend from school, and he was hanging out in the studio with Bowie and Tony Visconti. Uh, at that time said you might want to meet george because he's great a great artist and maybe he could come up with something and he came up with the first 
the giant, the gentle giant one, the first album with with him, the giant holding us in yeah. his hands, and that was that was George because Bowie was there with George, um, and uh, that's what I said. It was a mix and match of all these other artists doing the same thing. And meanwhile, Mark Bowen was writing in the studio doing you know, Bang a Gong or something. We were laughing at him because he was he looked ridiculous, you know. So you're having a bit of a chuckle about him, like, oh, look at this guy, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God, look, you know, look, look at that guy. The riding, he's actually literally riding in the studio on his back, you know. And, and, uh, but we, we, we were cynical, to say the least. But that's right, okay. yeah. Well, you always got to make um, fun of everybody else because yeah, your, your band's so much better. Uh, no, it wasn't not that at all. I mean, we we, we were just laughing because uh, he took his he took his stardom a little more seriously than we did. Right. You know, we never took our we never took our I mean, we took our music seriously, um, but we never took ourselves seriously, and that's something that you know, uh, even on stage, and we like to laugh. We like to enjoy. We love to you know we love to enjoy what we did musically. Yeah. Personally, for ourselves. And I hoped that it came over on stage because yeah, I think it you know, did. Smiling on stage, yeah, because that's important. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of our contemporaries, as you know, you know, will 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 play their music, you know, and say, you know, and and not look up to see what the audience looks like, um, and you know, think that the music itself will will wow you the crowd to the point of like them being, you know, uh, in awe. Well, we were never like that. We just wanted to have fun playing what we did and having smiles on people's faces. So we had fun together. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's, that's, and that's, that's, we, we took our music seriously, but we took our, 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 our entertainment, if you like playing the music um, with, with a pinch of salt and, and enjoyed what we did. And yeah. hopefully that enjoyment came through to the stage. Yeah. Spox was like that too. Anyway, we were, we were pretty crazy back in the day. We were, Pete Travis de- des- describes this as like, a bunch of completely mad people playing com- some completely mad music. <laughs> we didn't take ourselves very seriously. That, that's probably, yeah. Well, that's probably the best, best, best uh, um, quotation you probably have. So, but, uh, you know, we've got to touch on the later part of your life. Um, obviously, you, uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty well known that you got Bon Jovi signed and uh, other people like Slipknot and different different groups. And, yeah. Yeah, so you kind of well, came to the end of this thing. It's like, well, what am I going to do now, right? Well, effectively, yes. I mean, the, the 1980 tour, I mean, I, I you, look, you've been in the band. You know when, you know, I don't know, I, in your case, when Spocksbeard, you decided when Spocksbeard was, uh, I actually, I haven't spoken to anyone um about when you say it's time to call it a day and when you reform or what you know i don't know but i i knew at in 1980 that um we we we've done really we've done relatively well but the bands of our ilk you know the the, you mentioned crimson or but certainly genesis yes they were able to you know pull out a, a a commercial hit um gentle giant never were i mean we 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 I think we tried our best, but I think in certain respects we almost like self self destructed deliberately because we couldn't do it. So you know, ultimately the last tour um, in 1980, um, you know, we, we it just it felt like 
um, touring just because we needed to make the money to put bread on the table. And when you're a creative artist and when you, you, you go on the road and think, oh, God, I've got to go on the road again to, to you know, after. When you start feeling like that as a creative person, it, when you f- feel like you're clocking in, it's time to stop. Yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's time to. So we did the tour. It was a great tour. But when you, again, when it feels like a job, mm-hmm. it, I, you know, I, I only speak, I'm very lucky in the, in the fact that, you know, I can say that because most people who have to clock in have to clock in and that's, that's what they do. But um, we, it felt like a job to go on that tour and therefore it was time to say not anymore. Uh, so yeah, we did the tour, the last tour, it was a successful tour. And then um, we stopped, um, and um, there was no plan. I mean, I, I had no real plan afoot to to do anything. I I got I was in California at the time myself, um, and then um, I got a couple of calls saying, "You want to produce? You want to do this?" You know, and I, I kind of didn't know. I was kind of at, at odds, actually. You know, in a kind of wilderness. But I knew I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to continue and be become. Um, you know, forgive me for other, if this reflects on other bands, a parody of myself playing the same things to the same audience and kind of whittling it down to clubs. That, that was not what we wanted to do. Um, and I got a call from a friend from London who now work, is working in New York saying, have you ever thought about, you know, joining the enemy, the direct company? <laughs> right. And I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but uh, I, I, you know, I got a call and I spoke to the, a guy in charge of a department of Polygram Records, and he said we'd love to speak to you because you know there's a couple of uh, well-known um, um, uh, consultants, uh, radio consultants. And radio was very important back in those days. Yes, um, Jeff Pollock and uh, Lee Abrams, who were big fans of ours, um, and you can perhaps get to them quicker than I can. Anyway, I went to New York and I got this job. You know, to do to work at a record company, and I that was 1982, and um, and my first job, in fact, was promotion, and 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 uh, and that was hilarious. I mean, you you know, having to promote you know bands that I was not sure about, like the Jam, which is you know they were you know I I, I got on with the musicians. Thankfully, that's one thing that I always brought to the table as an executive, if you like, in quotes. I mean, I hate, I hate that stupid word. Um, but I, uh, you know, having uh, having to work with some artists that, you know, were hard to deal with. But anyway, the bottom line is I moved into A&R uh, at Polygram, and my first signing was indeed Bon Jovi. Um, and I, I, I saw something in him that, um, it's funny, I saw something in him that, Gentle Giant never had. It was a drive, an a, a uninhibited drive to make it the, to be the biggest artist in the world. He wasn't that great at that time, honestly, but he had this amazing, he wanted to be the next Elvis. And when you see that, that something in someone's eyes that, that, that is that driven, you think, I have, to, I, have to, I have to sort of nurture that. Anyway, Bottom line is that was the first signing, and then I went on to sign other bands in Polygram, whether it's Cinderella, um, Kingdom Come, Man Without Hats, uh, Tears of Fears. And then I got an offer to run 
um, at Co Records. That was the end of the eighties, and oh, I re- right. revitalized that label. And, and yeah, you know, and and, we're, and, uh, and signed Pantera and Dreams. Our body, uh, you know, Mike Portnoy's uh, Dream Theater, right? Uh, who would put this? Uh, uh, you know, that that's who introduced uh, me to you, of course. Yeah, um, and and, um, and other big bands in, in at Coasis. I, I, uh, I, I worked with the revitalized their career with Razor's Edge, a lot of big bands in, in Atco. And then I went on to run Roadrunner with, uh, with, you know, and I signed artists like, uh, Slipknot, as you said, and, um, I was lucky enough to do that. I didn't and know then, that. You know, having, I knew about Atco. I, I did not know about Roadrunner. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's in the, yeah, into the 2000s now, right? And then, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So I ran that and I brought that from a kind of a, a little death metal label to a pretty damn big label. In yeah. Fact. And the Nickelback right. was, was, was the, was the biggest, biggest back artist that they had and, and, and still do. And, and, um, I was party to citing Nickelback as well as Slip, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's all yeah, part of, you know, the, my, my history, if you like. But the interesting thing, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry if I'm doing a monologue on you here. No, no, but, go, um, go, go. It, it's just interesting having had the decades, if you like, of behind me of, and hopefully in front of me, a few more, or a couple more anyway, at least, um, of being in the music business and having music around. Um, what people want to know more about anything and anyone is about me as a musician, music. Not, not, not the business. Not, not the who you knew, what, what bands you signed, who you hung out with. You as a musician, and that's that's the thing that is interesting to me personally. And I, I would think the same would go for you as well. Mm. That it, you know, whatever you've done all over the other place, whether you you become the most famous podcaster in the world or whatever, <laughs> what's what's. No, I'm, I'm serious. What What's fascinating to me is is that all the other things that you're associated with are secondary to what the music you made, you made personally. Right. And, and you know, and that, that's you. Yeah. And that's something that's come back to me, uh, understanding what the, what's the most important thing about what you've done in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, being part of, a, a, you know, a, I think a pretty damn good group, uh, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by some great musicians um, and, and, and really good people and had, you know, a fantastic time doing it. So, you know, whether the, the, the following 30, 40 plus years of, you know, being uh, running labels and, and, and having big artists and big gold records on the wall, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that was fun. I can't deny it. However, coming back to where I started as being a musician is the most important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. So it's been the centerpiece of my life. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you're, yeah, you're still, you're, you're still doing it, of course. And yeah. Still, uh, doing you know, it. I, still doing it. I, still I, I envy it. you there, but in some respect. Yeah. Writing. <laughs> in fact, I think you go, are you going, going on the road again? Uh, yeah, there's some, uh, are, NMB are you, dates. Are you guys, uh, yeah, we got some, uh, dates. Uh, uh, there's Morse Fest, of course, uh, October, what, 9th and 10th or something like that. And then we're doing some uh, American shows, not very many, like nine American shows, I think. 
and then uh, Europe all the way in June. Just I'm not sure how that all happened, but um, I'm happy to get out and play still. I, I still love to play. I, I really love to write. That's just my favorite thing. And so I'm I'm just always right. th- I'm so thankful to you know still be inspired. Really is the main thing. You know, just to wake right. up in the, wake up in the morning and feel that inspiration of like I feel like I should write something, and then you start to do it, and it starts to come to fruition, and it's just, uh, yeah, wow, what an amazing right. thing that that uh, music is, you know. And I'm so glad to have been able to be a part of it, and in this time in human history, you know, when because uh, there were a lot, a lot of moments and seasons in human history when you wouldn't have been able to actually make a living from just writing whatever music or play you know like you guys did just playing whatever you wanted to play i mean that's a right that's an an amazing gift you know i mean in in decades and seasons and you know uh centuries past you would have to get a contract from a benefactor or something to pay you to write you know it's of course you you yeah, you had a patronizing uh, a patron. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, get a gig with the, a church the or something. Yeah, 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 the, exactly. The church or, or your patronage or whatever. Yeah, we were we were lucky in that respect. Absolutely. Did yeah. you did you uh, did you write during the pandemic? Did you? Uh, um, yes, yes, I did. I wrote a whole uh, whole concept album called Sola Gratia, um, based oh, on the okay. Apostle Paul, and you know, whole that whole. That whole thing. Oh, that old thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it went down very well. It was, it, was, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to do that and have a home studio where you could actually do right. something very viable. Um, what about right. you? How was, it, uh, how was it for you? Um, it was it was horrible, actually. But never the, uh, what I did was, you know, I, I took right, my house That's where we started. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I you know I took up my alto sax and, and and I got guitars by the time here, you know. But uh, you know, I have a, thankfully I have a study which I'm talking from, which is away from anyone else, anyone else in the apartment here, and and, and started you know getting pretty good at the, my, my alto and, and baritone. So yeah, I I got my sax out and made a lot of noise, um, and yeah, I have my little my, my logic set up and and you know did some uh, music myself, but great, you know, only for me. Not not anyone else. I mean, it was a. Uh, but it really, is, it's it's something that um, again, it's in your blood. I mean, if you have to, you know, be part of this part of who you are. Um, yeah. But I'm happy that the the bands are getting out again, and, and the shows are going to be back on track again because it's 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 horrible that, that that a lot of people were not able to make a living and, and live their lives properly. Uh, not just musicians. I mean, we're talking about everyone yeah. um but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that shows are going to happen again and music could be heard again live uh because there's nothing like live music i mean you, you know whatever yeah whatever the streaming services are whatever you know this that and the other i'll tell you one interesting thing that happened over the last few years and i'll just um you know somebody asked me a question about progressive music um well let me ask you a question I mean, uh, your your influences, and, and, and what do you what do you listen to now, and what do you what don't you listen to, and what don't you like? I, I, I'm going to turn the table here and, and be the, the interviewer. <laughs> oh, I what what are your influences? 
Oh, well, my influences um, uh, are, they're pretty vast. But I mean, I would just stick with the progressive ones, it would be, you know, you guys, Gentle Giant, and, um, you know, Yes, and Genesis, and ELP, and Jethro Tull, and The Who also, and then singer songwriter guys like Simon and Garfunkel, and, uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I listen to, I listen to, I listen to a lot of jazz and classical music still. So, uh, like, I'll put on yeah, Miles good. Davis radio and on Pandora and, or, or Mozart oh, yeah. or, or, Rachmaninoff or you know things like that yeah you know you know that's well that's, we're, we're in the same school there but what don't you like what is there, is there any kind of style of music that is an, an anathema to you well uh you know I'm not exposed to it very much but you know I don't of course I don't listen to very much like you know hip-hop or rap or anything like that um I you know I get I mainly I get tired of things like if my my wife likes to listen to popular music and a lot of times it's just kind of you know she likes Maroon Five a lot and so you know I I, I like yeah. Maroon Five I just I just sort of get tired of it you know it's like uh, it's yeah. a, you know whereas somehow uh, with the jazz and stuff I don't I don't find myself getting as tired of it. But. Yeah. No. The reason why I'm asking, uh, part part of the reason why I'm asking is, is um, you know, I, I didn't quite, um, I, you know, for a few years I, I was not sure about what hip hop and that world was and is, but what I realized more and more in the recent in recent times is they're probably most the most progressive uh, musical artists out there. Actually, they're progressive. I mean, if you listen to some of the stuff that's really clever. I mean, okay, they don't, if you effectively, they don't exactly, well, some of them don't uh, exactly make, you know, write the riffs themselves, but they put together these different styles of music and, and make it something which is different, completely different to what, um, to what you would expect. I mean, some of the, the in, in mixing, mixing and matching is damn interesting. And part of the reason I'm saying this is because, um, a lot of these uh, well-known hip-hop artists love the progressive bands. And in fact, um, Gentle Giant in the last year has had three number ones. I don't know if you know that. No, I don't um, know that. In fact, uh, you, you mentioned Knots. That, yeah. was the, uh, uh, um, that was sampled by a group called Run the Jewels, and it was the lead track on the Black Panther movie. Uh, movie. Really? Um, so what? if you, if you, yeah. I gotta go check so that, that out. Uh, so, uh, well, they, they, they yeah. obviously they put so, some kind of a groove to it. A groove, yeah, it was, it's, a, it's a groove to it, but, but the, but the band themselves, I mean, the, it, um, yeah, it's two, two guys and a, a, a DJ. Um, but I went to see them in, uh, year before the pandemic. Um, and they're huge, I mean, they're, these artists are huge fans of, uh, probably Spot Spirit as well, you know, but big fans of progressive, music wow um and they have more they have more musical uh um latitude and and love of whatever is out there than you know the the tiktok world if you like or the sort of uh, the pop world which is as you know is pretty much machine machine driven these days and, and mechanical mm -hmm. um and it's interesting that i, I i'm seeing that a lot more it's just uh you know even um i'll tell you a little sidebar story which which is kind of party to it i i was as as, a, as you know i'm working in the, in the business part of the world 
And I had to take Ann Wilson of Heart over to The Tonight Show for Jimmy Fallon um, you know, about three or four years ago, it was. And um, I was backstage with Ann and, and uh, you know, we were hanging out. And, um, and the musical director, I've forgotten his name, um, said, are you the Derek Sean of a Gentle Giant? I, I said, yeah. I mean, I don't know what's... I, it, was, it was a surprise that he even... You know, knew the band, forget my name. Right. Um, and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then out comes Questlove and the band, The Roots. And poor Ann Wilson was in the corner and they were asking for my autograph. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's, no, it's really bizarre because, you know, and there's, there's this in, fantastic, um, uh, how can I, it's, they're, they're really intrigued and love music, which is different and, and something that, gets their juices flowing. So it's interesting that the hip hop world is probably the most progressive world out there. Wow. You know, and I, I didn't realize, realize it myself yeah. until I just saw, saw what, what was, you know, they, they listened to interesting, quirky things. So, yeah. you know, don't dismiss it. I, I did for a while, you know, but it, it's something to, to be listened to. I'll check that out. I really want to hear this. But, 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 but this treatment yeah, of knots. Yeah. Run the jewels by that was a big, big hit. And in fact, I've got a gold record on the wall, uh, you know, from uh, Run the Jewels and, and those guys. You know, the, the guy, the, the lead guy is Killer Mike. He, he was um, uh, Bernie Sanders' biggest advocate. He's very, very politically uh, um, uh, involved. Okay. Um, very, this very smart guys. Right. Wow. Anyway, a bit, cool. a bit of a sidebar story. That's cool, man. Well, I'll check that out. Derek, it's been awesome talking to you. Thanks, thanks for being part too, of this, man. man. Yeah, you too, man. Yeah, oh, my, me too. I'd love to see you guys uh, and, and you yourself. You know, when we uh, when we we unlock ourselves and then when you're playing out yeah, there, yeah, uh, we have a, and... we do have a New York date in October, so I'll let you know. And if you can make oh, it, we'd love to. Man. We'd all love to see you. Yeah, I'd love to see you, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, all, right. all the best to you and your family, and Great. enjoy the rest of the basketball season. Clippers, man, Clippers. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm I'm rooting for the East Coast, but I want the Hawks. Right. <laughs> I said Clippers okay. because right, I, I think I'm probably, you, I, I must be the only Clippers fan. Whenever I say that, everybody's always like, "Oh no, not the Clippers!" You know. So I was, I was expecting yeah, to yeah, get that well, reaction it's from it's you. LA, <laughs> right? It's LA. Yeah. Well, East Coast. Yeah, well, got to be East Coast. Right. All right. All right, so, All right you man. Know, see you later. Speech, you, man. God bless you. Yeah. Bye bye. You take care. Yeah, you too, man. Bye. Shut me